Yes, 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 yes. Another show. Another show. Welcome officially to Money Making Conversations. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. Right. I'm it's your the show host, that shares Rashawn the secrets McDonald. of success. Each Money Making Conversation talk show and is about Rashawn entrepreneurship I will know. He's giving me advice on many occasions. And business owner access to interviews with celebrities, you know CEOs, he'll be entrepreneurs, celebrity CEOs, and industry decisions. It is important to understand that everybody travels a different path to success. That is because your brand is different. The challenges you face in your life are different. So stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. Now, you can be motivated by their success because their stories can offer direction and help you reach your goals through planning and committed effort. The Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and how to live a balanced life. My next guest is an actress, comedian, and entrepreneur. Her The Coca Brown Collection is a hobby turned passion turned cause. During this pandemic, with no acting gigs, comedy stand up club dates, or TV film roles to play right now, how is she making money? Because these times are not working for me. She's most notably known for her lead role in Tyler Perry's The Single Moms Club and For Better or Worse. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation the hilarious comedian actress, Coca Brown. Hey, how are you? I had to get all that out, girl. I'd set you up. No, I had to, I had to set you up. Oh, you me up lovely. Come on now, you know, because you got a big you resume. You set me now. up good. I had to like go through and pick what I thought would be noteworthy because you got a body of work that's fantastic. But let's go to the beginning because, you know, you hit straight hot with me with the stand up comedy. And um, right. it's such a male dominated field. So how did you oh, get started? God. And how did you start carving out your brand, Coca? You know, it's funny. Um, I never in a million years thought I would be a com- comedian. I mean, you know, I want I, growing up, I wanted to be Claire Huxtable. Yes. And I don't I, I know she wasn't a real character, but in my mind, she was. She was she was achievable. So when I graduated college, um, I had done some internships and had gotten the job. And a friend of mine who thought I was thought I was funny all through college introduced me to a guy who owned a comedy club in D.C. at a barbecue. Mm-hmm. And I guess he had told him about me and he was like, man, she's really funny. So this thing I know he's invited me down to open mic. Right. I've never been afraid of a stage. I've been acting and doing theater since I was 10. Mm-hmm. But um, I went down to his club. I did open mic night. It was a very interesting night because I thought you have to try to be a comic. And I learned quite quickly that uh, trying to be a comic and being a comic are two different things. Right. Um, but when I realized they weren't laughing at me trying to be a comic and I just started rambling about the fact that I really worked at Ringland Brothers and I had a real job mm-hmm. and the crowd began to laugh, that's when I realized that people liked what's real, like what's real and relatable is what's funny. So um, it kind of bit me. I thought it was fun. I thought it was going to be like a, ho- a hobby, but it turned out to be um, more so of a uh, career because I ended up getting a mentor, uh, Darcel, the fat Dr. Blegemont, who recently passed away, God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. But he mentored a lot of us DC comics, uh, right. you know, uh, Martin Lawrence, Tommy Davidson, Dave Chappelle, Donnell Rollins, I could go down the line. And um, he took me under his wing and he taught me the game. He taught me the business. And um, after a while, I realized that it took, it took my boss at Ringling Brothers to see something in me that I hadn't seen. She actually gave me the option of either quitting or her firing me because right. she had come to one of my shows and she said, you're wasting your time in this cubicle. You have a true talent. Mm-hmm. At Ringling Brothers. 
I was working for Greenland Brothers corporate offices, yes, mm-hmm. in Virginia. Up there. In the advertising Clowns and big a, elephants and uh, trapeze well, no, I wasn't, artists. I, 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 yeah, I'm just talking. That's what, you said the office. But just, I was in the circus. Uh, no, no, I, no, I, no, no, the circus. no, I knew you weren't in the circus. I'm just saying, but that's the brand that you were representing. Elephants yeah. and clowns and you exactly, know trapeze artists. Exactly. And here you are, just energetic, funny. Your friend been laughing at you all through college. He been laughing at you so much, he introduced you to the owner of a club at a barbecue, which is funny in itself, okay? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey, hey, come over here. He was like, she needs to be a comic. Come over here, stop I, eating I that potato no salad. I was auditioning. Stop eating that potato salad. Come I over am- here, girl. Put down that sweet potato pie. Come on here. Peach cobbler. Come on here, girl. I got some fucking this girl funny right here. She funny. Funny, 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 funny. Now, so, and I know that's how I started in stand-up. You know, so you go on stage. It's it's not about being nervous. It's about a new experience. And you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I just went on stage and I worked up some some things I thought were funny. And they did laugh at it. So that did help out the next step, which is to get back on stage again. And so... It really, it really allows for you to grow as a person. But like you said, but that wasn't your first love. Being on stage as an actress was your first love, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was 10 years old, um, my fifth grade teacher, Miss Marshall, who I have so much love for because she didn't even realize what she was doing. She put me the lead in a play in the fifth grade. Uh, I had so many lines and that was my first time in Everybody was like, oh, my God, like, you should be an actress. Like, you were so good, you know. But in the, you know, fifth, grade. From a very, in the fifth grade. In the fifth grade. In the fifth grade. Sign you uh, up. I played a... Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Coco like, out there, boy. Just slaying in the and, fifth grade. In the fifth grade, yeah. <laughs> my grandmother made my costume and everything. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but, um, you know, coming from a, such a traditional Southern family, mm-hmm. that was not an option. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to go to school, get good grades, get in a good and college, you go that. to college, meet a guy, get married, have some babies, and come home to my parents every Sunday for dinner. I wasn't supposed to be in no Hollywood. Right, right. But you did <laughs> you did go to college. You got your degree. I did. Now, did you get yeah, married? I got two degrees, actually. Got two degrees. So you were highly yeah. educated. You're high. And what are degrees at? What are degrees at? What college? I have a bachelor's in mass communications with a focus in advertising, and I have a master's in secondary education. And what college? University of Phoenix. Uh, BC, Virginia Commonwealth University mm-hmm. with undergrad and University of Phoenix with ma- uh, graduate. That'll work. Now, we got all that, that good education behind you. Got all how you started. Now, right. did you go on the road being a comic first or did you move to be an actress first? What did you do? I went on the road to be a comic first. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just an adventure. I, when I look back at some of the crazy stuff I did, like work an eight-hour day at Ringling Brothers, get in my car at 6 p.m. at night, drive to New York to do a couple of open mics and drive back to Maryland, or mm-hmm. back to Maryland where I live, mm-hmm. and be at work the next morning by 8. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine doing that now. I would die. But back then, I was doing it three or four times a week like it was nothing. Right. Well, you had to. I, I know that. I worked for the IBM, and um, I would be on stage at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes, because you know, when you're doing open mic, a late mm-hmm. comic, you know, it's a lineup. It could be 20, 25 comics on that list. And exactly. Each one of them get three exactly. or four minutes. It was and, so exciting to me, you know. And, and you know, so, and laugh spreads can make their set longer as well, you know. So, so right. it really, so I, when you talk about effort and you talk about dreams, that's why I'd like to talk about this sh- on this show is about, you know, there are no guarantees that there's a plan, but what is guaranteed. 
guaranteed. If you want to be successful, you have to put forth the effort. You have to make sacrifices. And that's what you're talking about, that drive up, you know. And we know that drive back was scary, you know, worrying about falling asleep, worrying about what I'm making on time, a lot of praying, putting your head out the window to stay awake, you know, driving with the air conditioning on, all kind of slapping yourself, all that kind of stuff you were doing on a regular basis to stay awake. I know because I did those techniques because I was crazy Mm -hmm. just trying to get to that dream. Didn't know what the dream was, but just trying to get to that dream. And so exactly. So so now you're going up to New York, you you just starting to get your wheels on the year. Now, when did your first big break come, Coca Brown? Um honestly, I think the first big break that got me noticed was Showtime at the Apollo. Mm. Mm. When they were doing the comedy TKO and I went five rounds before I got eliminated. Mm. Um, that got me noticed by a lot of people in terms of management, promoters, clubs, things like that. Um, so I started working heavily. And then, um, I would say the next one after that most was, uh, Tyler Perry's for better or worse. Mm. Now, how did you get there? Cause Tyler's always getting new talent a shot. So did you audition it for it or you handpicked for it? How did that? Tyler is so influential. I've known him for a lot of years and I will. He's never he's he, he loves giving giving young people a shot, a first time actor. Yeah. Shot. T- tell us about that experience. It's funny. I auditioned for for better or worse, not knowing that Tyler had seen me at a comedy club in L.A. like about a year before that. Mm. And he had said that, you know, he wanted to, he, you know, he, he told me, he goes, when I saw you, I said, wow, I want to work with her. But at the time I didn't have, you know, a project. He said, but when I got for better, you know, when I wrote for better or worse and you came in the audition, I immediately remembered you. He said, and basically at that point you had the part. It was just cause she acted. He goes, and you killed that audition so much. I didn't have to see anybody else after you. So you you not so knowing you not so that's knowing that's a, now that's some pressure now that's some unknown pressure because if you'd have known yeah, going I didn't in no I went in just auditioning like anybody else I didn't know that he had already seen me right so you, and knew of my work I had no idea he knew of my work so not knowing that you just went in and just did the coca thing you know did the coca thing right. whatever I the coca thing audition. is audition got it and so how many episodes did you do of, for better or worse a hundred and. One hundred and sixty-seven. Now, what did that do for your brand as a stand-up comic? Now, now you, you know, because black oh, people, man. black people know you now. You know, Coca Brown, Coca Brown. Oh yeah, you know, oh so, yeah. Now, how I did how did the reaction start? Could you were you selling out dates in comedy clubs and small venues? How did that reaction start for you? And then when did you start noticing people knew who you were and was reacting to you, Coca? And it was probably after like the second season of For Better or Worse. When, you know, when the first season, I was more so, you know, I wasn't in every episode. Right. When we came back from the second season, Tyler had me in all the episodes. And that's how it remained uh, from that day forward that my character, Jennifer, was in all the episodes. Mm -hmm. And people began to recognize me as Jennifer. And so when I began to, you know, right around that time is when I started to really get into comedy clubs and, um, the improvs and the funny bones and stuff started letting me in for a weekend, not just black night. You know what right. I mean? I know that's and right. So, and so 
I told them to specifically advertise it as Jennifer from Tyler Perry, for better or worse. Well, when I say it packed the room, I mean, Tyler Perry has a huge following. I mean, you can't even put a number on it. <laughs> and then to say that you're a part of one of his shows as a character, that just opened up. I mean, people were lined up. And to this day, even with me now getting uh, a fan base from 911 on Fox, which is, which is a whole different fan Drama, base, which is a drama. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The for better or worse fans are so loyal. They still come out to my shows, pack out the shows, always ask me at the shows, then come back. So, I mean, it definitely impacted my career, especially my stand-up career. Mm-hmm. I mean, to this day, if I put from Tyler Perry's Single Moms Club and for better or worse, I can guarantee three quarters, if not more, that club going to be packed. With black folks coming in to see Coco Brown, Coco Brown, and, la- and, and, and excuse me, and Latinos, Latinos are huge fans. We know we talked about how she started. We talked about being a stand-up, which is the beauty of being a stand-up and an actress is because you can make money before another opportunity comes to you. And that's what I, that's the beauty of being a stand-up. And that's what she talks about. She talks about being an entrepreneur. She's out there, she's a businesswoman, you know. And a lot of people look at stand-ups as talent. But really, we're business people because we got to book our days. We got to hustle our days. We got to, sometimes we're out there at the club. We got to book our own air travel, hotel room, mm-hmm. feed ourselves. If you get big enough, yep. you got to get security and limos and car services and all these things. So when you become a stand-up, the early stages of a stand-up, you are a small business, you are an entrepreneur, and you are self-employed. And so you already had that skill set down pat when you became a working actress. Now, now it's like when when you're in this time now that we all got caught off guard by by this pandemic. What are you doing to, uh, you know, keep yourself focused to be able to plan? Because we know it's going to end. We know we're going to get back out in the streets. We know we're going to get back out in the clubs. We're going to get back in the arenas. What are you doing right now during this period, Coca? You know, I am hustling my other businesses. I mean, it has been crazy that what has started out as hobbies have now become my main source of income. I have a CBD uh, business called the Coca Brown Collection that um, I sell CBD infused uh, body scrubs, body creams and hand sanitizers. And that has just taken off, especially with the hand sanitizers in the time that we're in now. Okay, you, you got then, hand sanitizers. Um, Dude, back up, back up, back yes, up. Yes, I do. You got hand yes, sanitizers. I, I mean, yes, if I, I ordered a hand sanitizer right now, I can get it. Yes, for me. Yeah. Okay, now. All right, now. Let's tell everybody. <laughs> put, that, put that website on the line right now. So, and also, Coca Bra. Also, Coca Bra. I, I got a mailing list to over 90,000 fans. You know, I got almost oh, a wow. million social media followers. So, please give me a banner. Coco Brown, the collection. I will. I and will. I will put it on my social media because everybody's looking for that. You know, it's gotten to a point now that they're even advertising, they're, they're running national commercials for these masks. The people are making masks. So yeah, yeah. And, and they're price gouging it on Amazon. One bottle will cost you like $50. Yes, yes, yes. So so you have hand sanitizers. This is fantastic because, yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. that's one of the things I tell people in their six steps is that, you know, you got to have your hand sanitizer when you leave the house, you know, in that way, mm-hmm. you, can, you can, especially when going into public environments, when you when you get exactly. back in the car, spray your hands before you touch your car keys and before you touch your, your steering wheel. So there's a lot of things that we can deal with on a regular basis this is sounding fantastic so so continue along this line you, you stop it right there because the business side of Rashawn had to come in and go whoa 
You got hand sanitizer. <laughs> yeah. You need to give you more. And mind you, I, I I realized there was a need for it because you know when this, when when you know two months ago mm-hmm. I didn't have hand sanitizer, but then when I realized it was a need for it, and I knew that I could make it, and that I could give people this you know great sense, and they could have it with or without CBD, um, it took off. You know, I sold out my first batch in what two days. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, then I have creams. And I also have body scrubs that are all CBD infused. Right. But then I started uh, making CBD infused goodies. I have brownies and cookies. Okay, let's go. I let's make go. pound cakes. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, what exactly is CBD? What exactly is that? CBD is all the benefits of marijuana without THC, without the marijuana residuals. Okay, so you're saying that now the marijuana residual, is that the part that, you know, gets you, as they say, high? That's the part that gets you, that, that gets you bucks. The, the buzz. Give you the buzz. You Give you the buzz. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. CBD gives you all of the great benefits of cannabis, infl- pay, you know, uh, relief of inflammation, anxiety, mm-hmm. depression, mm-hmm. sleeplessness, you know, sleep disorders, insomnia, depression, anxiety, but it doesn't have THC in it, which is what is the residue of weed that shows up in your drug test. Right. Now, I give people the option. Do you want your edibles with THC or without THC? Because <laughs> some people are still working jobs that right. they get tested. They can't have that come in their test. But it still provides all the benefits for anxiety, depression, insomnia, pain, inflammation, things of that nature. Um, and the good thing is it's handmade. It's organic. And um, from what I've been told from all my wonderful customers, it's gooder than a mofo. It's like people have literally gotten their order that morning <laughs> Gina, and Gina, reordered stop, stop, that stop. evening. Don't you ever throw another old line like that on my radio show. Yeah, okay? gooder than a mofo. Well, than you, a mofo. That is like that is like a 40-year-old line. I can't believe. You said you were old school. <laughs> now. You said old, old I'm soul. old school, baby. Coca. Coca Brown. I can't believe you. (laughs) And you got to understand, these are my grandmother's recipes that I'm using. So you got, you know, a black woman and a Creole woman that taught me how to cook. So you know they know, you know they taste Absolutely, absolutely. So but before we get too deep, because I want to come back to the Cravables, because in the beginning, during your intro, I stated that the Coca Brown collection is a hobby turned passion turn cause. Because yes. I want to talk mm-hmm. about the cause part of this. Yeah. Because it's very yes. important because one of my dear friends and one of my producers, I've been known over 20 years, she has lupus. So okay. when, I, when I talk about lupus, it's not something that I'm not familiar with. And I know the impact and she lives a very uh, quality, quality field life. She has a beautiful daughter. and But she also has to take medicine. So let's talk about the whole cause part of the, the Coca Brown collection. Right. Um, I partnered a year, a year and a half ago with a group called the Social Butterflies Network, Butterfly representing the butterfly rash that lupus patients get. And it's an organization that provides all kinds of services for lupus survivors. And it's a near and dear cause to me because my favorite aunt had lupus when I was growing up and she passed away when I was 21. And she was just, you know, so resilient. But I watched the transformation of this woman because of lupus. And to this day, there's no cure and they have such minimal research and really don't that they know it's an, um, an autoimmune disease. They know it's an right. autoimmune um, mm-hmm. disease. They know it attacks your nervous system and your immune system and all that, but they really don't put the effort in the research. They do the, all the other cancers and autoimmune uh, disease causes. So I partnered with them a year and a half ago to raise money for that. 
But then when I began, when I created Minchie Toes and my CBD infused um, products, a lot of them were ordering it because it was aiding in the pain and discomfort they were getting from their fibromyalgia, things of that nature. So I, when I created the Coco Brown collection, I decided that from 10% of each sale would go towards social butterflies and lupus research. Wow. Congratulations. Because they're using it and they rave about it. I mean, I, I would say a good 45% of my customers of the minty toes, uh, pain relief cream is lupus patients mm. and people who suffer from everything from uh, neuropathy, fibromyalgia, arthritis, mm-hmm. I mean, sciatic nerve issues. I mean, I've had everybody from lupus patients to fitness trainers to firemen, and I even have a podiatrist who endorses my minty toes and actually sells it in her office as an alternative to prescription creams. Congratulations. That's awesome. So, yeah. That, that so really it's is awesome. Good. You know, because yeah, really when I'm talking to you, you know, I'm talking to, um, you got, that's the uh, the marketing side of you coming out, the communication and advertising side of you. Yeah. That, uh, you know, I, 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 I did a lot of marketing with advertising degrees. I, I, had a lot, I still have all my marketing books, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the thing about it is, you know, for yourself is that as a comic, you're constantly selling mm-hmm. yourself. You know, you, I, Absolutely. It's, 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 Absolutely. It's, 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 it's a reason you're successful. It's a reason that you say, hey, if you're going to market me at this club, make sure everybody know I'm Jennifer for, for better Absolutely. or Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Spell and, my name right. I mean, they're just such minor things. That say really your name right. Let's, let's get that right. Say your name right, Coca. Say it right now. Coca. <laughs> yes, it's Coca Brown, not Coco, but you know, it's all good. As long as it's spelled right on my check at this point, I'm not going to trip. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but you know, the thing about it is that you might, my name's Rashawn. So, you know, a lot of people have come at me with a lot of a lot of their own versions of how Rashawn should be said right, out of their right, mouth. I can imagine. And then, you know, and, and sometimes you just go, okay, long as this, but really it's your brand and you're trying to build a brand that, Absolutely. That, of respect, a, a, a brand of recognition. And so when I saw the way you enunciated your name, when it was, how it was spelled out, I went, that's awesome. She, she's, she's controlling her voice. She's controlling her brand and dictating it too, because of the fact that, yeah, it gets, it gets spelled right on the check, but boy, when just a straight, Stranger walk up to you and said, "Right," because that's that's what I knew. I was kind of making it a little bit there, Coco. When when I didn't even know people. Hey, Rashawn, I don't even know who you are. Right? Because I used to, I, right. because yeah. I used to be able to tell people who knew me and didn't know me by how they said my name. I go, "Okay, I never met this dude in my life." Yep. Hey, Russian. Okay, I've never met this dude in my life. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and exactly. so and so that really helped me to start defining that. Okay, by by getting more and more people saying my name right, really means my marketing and my branding is uh, and my and my my brand awareness is working. And so a lot of people understand that. Like you know, Apple wants to be said correctly. You know, right. IBM wants their name to be spelled correctly. IBM is said correctly. You know, Google wants their name to be said correctly. And so all these things are very important. We talk about marketing and branding because that's all you've dealt with from day one. You know, when you say five years old and, and remembering all these lines, that means that there was an effort to way back in fifth grade when you was in the fifth grade. All these lines, it was an effort, but you still 
prepared and, and, and achieved. And, as, and that work ethic, people saw in you and she's special. Because guess what? If you gave me a lot of lines in the fifth grade, I'm pretty sure I would never remember or would even care to have done them because that wasn't my passion. Right. That wasn't my passion. And so you've been able to carry a passion all these years. And now you're a successful talent. And now you're a successful businesswoman. What are the next steps? Because you're a single parent, correct? Yes, I'm a single mother. Yes, I am. Yes, <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on, Coco. Did I stun you there? Did I, did I... <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> and yes, you're, you're a single parent. What did he just say? Single parent. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm a single mom. That's yes, right. I'm a single parent. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. So, I was married once. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> right. So let's talk about the whole balanced life now because, you know, you're acting, you're traveling, you're, you know, you're a businesswoman. Uh, now, you, now you're talking about this whole product line that you have out there. And then you are a, a mom, single mom. Talk about how you balance all that. Um, you know, by the grace of God in a great village, uh, you know, I have always had a great village around me, especially, you know, after I left, you know, my marriage and became a single mom, I've always had a great village around mm -hmm. me to help me with my son from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm very adamant about, you know, building a great village around you as a single parent, right. you know, much as we would like to think we're super people, you know, super superheroes. You know, we can't do it all by ourselves and we do need help and we have to always remember that, you know, and I've always been grateful. And then, too, I mean, I'm just going to brag a little bit. I have an amazing kid. I have an amazing kid. His resilience, his mm -hmm. understanding mm -hmm. uh, of what Bami does um, and what I have to do for a living. I mean... He gets it, you know, even, you know, he has his moments where he just wants his mommy right. and, you know, and I give him that. I mean, this is the most time that we have been with each other constantly right. with no distractions. I mean, you know, well, mommy's physically here day in and day out. Right. It has been for almost two months. Right. So, um, that's interesting. That's, and then that's that's the good side of the pandemic, because I'm the same way with my daughter. You know, uh, you know, she's 22, uh, a senior in college. And, you know, all those okay. years of raising her, I was on the road. I was traveling. Plus, she was a yeah. she was a, a tennis star. And so tennis prodigy. Okay. So she was always traveling all over the country. So, you know, we last night we playing dance, you know, tap dance fever every day. I'm playing with her, you know, beating her with calories. You know, how dad beat me. He's losing more calories in the dance. So I know what that 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 part of this whole thing is is real special to me. And I can hear it come out of your voice. But before we end this interview, I want to go back to these cravables and I want you to tell people how to where they can go to follow you as well as to buy some of your products. Showtime. Your okay, choice. great. Great. All right. You guys can uh, go right now to the Coca Brown collection. That's T H E C O C O A Brown collection.com. There you'll find all of my wonderful CBD creams and body scrubs, hand sanitizers. And I also, as a bonus, have lashes. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. You know, and you guys can also, if you'd like to order some of the Cocoa Cravables, we have brownies, cookies, pound cakes, cupcakes. Um, you can order them at cocascravables at gmail.com. That's C-O-C-O-A-C-R-A-V-E-A-P-L-E-S at gmail.com. That's Cocoa's Cravables. And if you don't want to do all of that, you can easily go to my Instagram at cocabrownonefunnymama.com. Follow me, I mean, excuse me, Coca Brown One Funny Mama at Instagram. 
follow me, shoot me a DM. All you got to do is put in the C-O-C-O-A-B. You'll see Coca Brown, One Funny Mama with the blue check. Check that. That's me. And I'll be able to get you orders as well and point you in the right direction. I love you. I, you owe me two banners. Coca Brown, you owe me a banner for the hand sanitizer. I got you. I will send and you owe me a banner for these cravables because they got be craving. What you, what you just ran off, I went, pound cake. Did she say pound cake? So I'm there with you. And I want to thank you, Coca Brown, for coming on my show, Money Making Conversation. Pretty, I really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much for having me, Rashawn. Thank you. Our next guest, they're on the phone. They are a dynamic duo. They're very talented in their separate world, but they own this show as a dynamic duo. One is an accomplished actress and talented producer. They're the founders of Sugarberry. Tika Sumter stars in the top-rated ABC comedy sitcom Mixish and hit movie Sonic the Hedgehog that my daughter watched. She drugged me to go see it. She's a, she's in game design. So any animated movie that's really good, I go out and see it with her. Ty Randolph is an award-winning executive and former member of Facebook's global marketing solutions team. She is currently the executive vice president and general manager for Kevin Hart's, that's my boy, Laugh Out Loud Network. On the show today, they will be sharing that podcast that I've listened to, Sugar. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, the owners of Sugarberry, Tika Sumter and Ty Randolph. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. For did, I get a, did I get enough out, ladies? Did I get a- <laughs> that was an amazing intro. We want to take you everywhere. <laughs> well, you, know, you know, first of all, you know, thank you for taking the time because, you know, my show, uh, it, it, you know, you, you just start things with ideas. And 2017, I just was interviewing friends that I know and they were celebrities and I didn't know why I was interviewing them. And uh, then I shut it down. I said, I asked my staff, I go, why are they calling me? Because I don't even know why I'm talking to them. And so I had to get a point of view. And so the reason I was excited about it, we're going to talk about Sugar Bear, but I want to first talk about your relationships that you two have. And then the podcast Sugar, because you guys have a point of view. And I went like, wow, they they up front, they they, they started it with, with the idea of a concept of who they're talking to. So let's talk about the whole, uh, how that process of creating that podcast Sugar got started. Yeah, I mean, well, it was kind of, um, it's weird. I think it was the, the, first it was Sugarberry, and then we decided, you know, okay, out of this, we can have real conversations. Mm -hmm. So Ty and I got together through a mutual friend of ours who introduced us, and I kind of pitched throughout some kind of ideas I had on the wall about creating this space for black mothers um, where we can be free to speak on anything we need to speak on, or sometimes we're not included in all conversations, right. including, you know, our bodies and, and, and even being hospitalized with pregnancy, but even IVF or just, just somewhere to laugh and indulge in every, everything across the spectrum of motherhood and sisterhood. So, you know, Ty loved this idea and we, we came together to create what Sugarberry is now and the sugar on Stitcher, which is our <laughs> podcast. So yes. we just wanted to laugh. And, and also I think it's very therapeutic for both of us as well as being mothers, but not only mothers, but just human beings, you know, who are, who are career women in this world who needed an outlet. And if we, we know if we needed it, there's so many other women who, 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 who needs it as well. Well, you know, Ty, your thoughts as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, when Tika came up with the idea um, for launching a platform in a community, you know, that 
catered to, um, you know, women of color and black moms in particular. Right. Uh, when I first got to hear out the, when, when we first got together and she told me about the idea, you know, I'm a skeptic by nature, so I'm always looking to, you know, poke holes in a business idea. But what <laughs> captured me was... Chica, that's who you, that's who you got in business with? Oh, you know, the shit, <laughs> shit major confidence, Let me right? tell you something. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you something. Get in business with somebody who is opposite of all the talents that you have. Yes. <laughs> You, you need someone to poke a hole through everything. You know, Tika, you come in. Right. I got this great idea, girl. I want you. Why? Why do you want me? That don't make no sense. Ain't nobody else asking for me. Why you want me? Well, well, we 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 both had respect for this mutual friend, and I was a huge fan of Tika's work. Absolutely. But I was I was very skeptical about you know sort of the digital publishing space. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that you know we as Black women are are you know the fastest growing segment of entrepreneurs in this country, but we also face the most hurdles when it comes to things like access to capital. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure when. You know, we were, even as I was listening to the idea before she invited me to, you know, become her partner, um, I, I was ready to, to, to sort of like poke the holes. But what, as she was talking, mm-hmm. I found myself taking off my business hat. And as a consumer, it just resonated with me. I thought as, um, you know, a woman of color, as a, a new mom, someone who's up really mobile and thinking about where do I invest my money? Where do I find resources? You know, what products and brands, um, should I support, there was just this sort of deficit of of resources and particularly resources that were speaking to people who look like me and who shared my experience. So, you know, I said, hey, not only am I interested in this, I would be your first customer. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really informed all of our efforts, you know, whether it's, you know, the content that we program on our site or, you know, um, you know, what we're doing with the sugar or the brand partnerships that we're forming, Mm -hmm. it's all deeply personal, right? Like we want to make sure that when we're rolling out conversations or content that it's stuff that we can identify with and and that's what I feel like has really resonated so far with the, with the audience I think um, you know our community feels like we're speaking with them and not at them we know it's great and uh, I'm just joking about the relationship because I, opposites do attract and then you in, in business what what you guys both bring to the table is a huge amount of success and a huge amount of work ethic from from different lanes and and the fact that I love about because I've been tracking Tika a little bit you know she's she produces a lot of projects she pitches a lot of things and she has a strong entrepreneurial base and then you coming from that Facebook side which is the beast of social media so that that's a knowledge that when you guys come together that's almost like a I can see why somebody would say you two need to talk because you're merging. Digital, social, uh, you know, from a celebrity standpoint, because Tika's a celebrity. She's a brand. She's a visual brand, and it allows you to get news articles and get interviews. And then all of a sudden, you get on the show and you tell your story. But the thing I always tell people about the most successful black magazine right now, currently, is Essence magazine. And that's because it talks about women of color, black women, its point of view. And that's what I love when I heard your podcast and I had to go to it. I said, I'm not going to interview you two and not listen to your brand. And one of the things that stood out in one interview was like when you guys say, I hate being pregnant. And I went, <laughs> 
you know, and you know, and, 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 you know, and, you know, you know, you know, y'all explain that. Okay, look, I'm happy you say, to. Oh, that's possible. You know, you know, I go, you know, because you, know, you, know, you know, people would say stuff. You go, that makes sense. They have the right to say, I love being pregnant, but I hate being pregnant. Okay, get this. I don't like the process. I don't like the weight gain. I don't like the ankles. I don't like. I don't like it taking me nine months. If this could be done in a couple of hours, we good. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think it's giving you know exactly what you said. It's giving um, people the place to be able to say things that they normally couldn't say in public, or just a space where you know that's the truth. You know what I mean? And we are able to say the truth, especially around each other, because we're not going to look at each other in side eye and and give judgment for what people have been saying for years on the other end. Do you know what I mean? Like. If people say my kid is a terrorist, it's like, oh, wow, that's funny, you know. And right, then right. sometimes when when some when we say it, it's like, oh my god, you're a terrible mom. So we wanted to give you know uh, mothers a space where they can be super honest. And I was like so in love with that. I I was like, I'm a fan. I'm a fan because because anytime I always tell people is that I'm always I always tell people I wake up stupid so I can take accept information. If you wake up smart all the time, you know. <laughs> You know, who, who are you going to listen to if you think you're, you're the smartest guy in the room all the time? But I, I always make a right, mandate, right. Rashawn, go into an environment and, and, and gain information. And so when I was listening, and first of all, you know, on the podcast I listened to, you went, y'all gave love to Megan the Stallion because Sugar, she had, a, she had an album out, CD out by the same name. <laughs> and so, so, it was like, so when I was listening to it, I was like, you know what? Because I, I got, first of all, I have six sisters. Okay. So, no, you're talking about a guy who has been around women all his life. Okay. Four of them are older than me. And so, so here I am going, you know, some, this is so dead on because. African-American women or women of color have always had to accept information, had to accept clothing, clothes style, yeah. had to accept yeah. hairstyles, had yeah. to accept. Uh, 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 and, and then when we when we pioneered and say, you know, stop, I want to talk about our needs. You hit home runs. Mm-hmm. I really do believe you two are hitting a home run with what you're doing with your podcast. That's just something just telling you that I've done a lot of great things in my life. I produced a lot of great things in my life. You guys are on to something very, very special. And I just wanted to say that we're going to continue this interview, but I want to let you know that I was laughing. I was like, I'm, I, I, you guys are natural. First of all, articulate. Everything was very clear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, you know, because you know, if, if, if secondly, we haven't even talked about the fact that about both of you guys are moms. You know, when y'all start talking about that, you know, it was, it was like, you know, I said, uh, how do you know in, in life we're always caught up in looks. We're caught up in in um and because you know when I when I look at Tika, you know, she's a star. You know, she's beautiful. I wouldn't even think she had a child. So I listened to the podcast. <laughs> When did she have time to have a child? When did she drop this child? <laughs> so, so, so I'm like, I'm like heavily hide, informed. I'm heavily informed here. We hide them very well. We hide them very well. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm just, I'm just having a good time laughing at both of you guys going, they crazy. I, I said, they crazy. They crazy. <laughs> and so, and so. Well, yeah, that's. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, that's crazy in a good way because now me as a man, I can have a good time and I can get a window. You know, the the beautiful thing about it when, you know, Steve Harvey and I produced this book, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. The the reason it was successful because we opened up 
information lane about what men really think about women and dating. Okay, that's why the book sold three million copies. Mm -hmm. And so because you two are going to open up that window, all opening up, let me just, let me say it. Now you're opening up this lane. Don't stop. Don't stop. Oh, thank you. You can't stop. Thank you. We really really Tika, Ty, TNT. Y'all got to keep going, girl. Got to keep going. TNT. Oh, we will. TNT. TNT. You know, you know, optimism and suspect. Optimism and suspect. I don't know. I love it. Why you love it? I'm not sure. Why you sure? TNT. <laughs> oh, I'm having a good time with my ladies here. Uh, one, I didn't even know she was pregnant. I didn't even know she had a child. You know, so I listen to our podcast. All this information be downloaded on me. Um, that's TNT. That's Tika and Ty. Tika Sumter, Ty Randolph. Brilliant and known fields. You know her from Mixish and uh, Sonic the Hedgehog hit movie made over $300 million worldwide, $136 million locally. Um, Ty, uh, the fact that she's even tied to Facebook makes her amazing, but she's also tied to another amazing guy, Kevin Hart, Laugh Out Loud Network. She's a general manager and executive vice president. Please welcome back to the show. Let's talk about uh, further ex- expanding into the uh, lifestyle, the culture of women of color, sugar berries. Talk about that. Now you want to take that one? Sure. Um, so, you know, so, so like I said, Mantika came uh, with the idea and we first started talking about it. But what was interesting is we had seen similar efforts really right. scale and gain traction with, you know, non-black women. So you have the goops of the world with Gwyneth Paltrow, um, you know, Jessica Alba, who we're a great, you know, fan of, um, his, his launch and scale honest company in a really interesting way. Courtney Kardashian just launched. Keep talking. And we said, where's ours? Right. And to your point about, um, you know, sort of Tika being a huge celebrity, but also just so well loved by the community and very respected. It was who better to helm this. And she's been so open and honest about, you know, her own experiences. And then we wanted to make sure though, that sort of, you know, the one thing we wanted to separate, yes, you want it to be aspirational, but very inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in, in one side of this sugar berry, you really feel when we launch, um, there's a video on the site where we talk about the reason for founding it. And we say, this is a love letter to black moms. Right. And so this really is a passion project. <laughs> Um, with us wanting to provide the resources that we were looking for that we didn't have. On the flip side of that, however, though, there was this grounding in this being really, really good business sense. You know, black African-American women yield a tremendous amount of purchasing power. Um, you know, if African-Americans alone were a country, they would be the 15th largest economy in the world. Mm-hmm. And African-American women control the lion's share of that purchasing power. And so the impact that we can have on consumer goods, on media consumption. You talk about Facebook, look at how Red Table Talk literally revived the watch platform. Mm -hmm. Um, Or when you look at, you know, network television and the success of the likes of This Is Us and Blackish and now Mixedish, you see that it's not just that we influence our own purchasing behavior, but we have a tremendous amount of general market um, purchase influence. And so in founding Sugar Berry, we wanted to really envelop and embrace um, you know, black moms and tell a different story about black motherhood or a myriad of different stories. But we also wanted to connect with brands and advertisers and media companies in a real way and say, here's our community. Let's mm-hmm. communicate to them with care and nuance. 
Right. You know, it's really interesting. And then uh, one of my other favorite shows, romantic shows, is uh, Cherish the Day. I don't know if you've seen that series. That's one of the most amazing. Love it. Oh, my God. Love, love, oh, my God. Love. Oh, my God. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> See, I'm just laying down there. I'm feeling y'all, ladies. I'm feeling you. You're poor. I'm feeling both of you guys. <laughs> now, here's the, here's the whole thing about it is that when we're talking about, you know, the, your welcoming and loving environment for moms of color by providing content surrounding health which is important, wellness, finances, self-care, travel, and so much more. Now, let's go back to the, let's talk about the health first, because, you know, right now during this pandemic, you know, immediately more African-Americans are affected or dying because of the pandemic. What do you talk about when, on your, what is your platform for health when it comes to women of color? Well, you know, some of our articles have been about, real immediate financial help, like the financial literacy of it all with right. the stimulus check or mm -hmm. just COVID-19, how do you apply for right. the unemployment or, or, th or things like that. Mm -hmm. So we've been really trying to drive um, articles like that out. We've been trying to talk about the disparities. I mean, that's what we do anyway. We talk about the disparities, but that's one way we've been trying to uh, get information out to the people who need it most. We know it's really because in the businesses we live that, you know, it's a male dominated business, you know, whether it's a uh, producing or executives and but women are becoming, you know, they, they, are, they as far as entrepreneur women of color. Have, what what I'm not putting you on the spot to say you guys are the experts, but you are my sugar team. OK, so I'm going to come to you. OK. <laughs> and so I got I got I got mega star over here. I got mega mega producer over here. I got mega executive over here. Mega star, mega executive. Okay. Y'all are a dynamic team. So with that being said, why why is it? Why why how African American women feel they they can do it? They can they don't have to work for anybody anymore when they've been portrayed, you know, as as, as, as in, you know, films maids or overweight on television a lot, or the or the lovable character that's always funny. Other than there have been very few times on TV that African men, women have been trained as professionals. So why do you feel right. that now African women say, no, we can do this. We can go out there and we can be business people. Well, I think black women have been carrying the load of all businesses from the time we came to this country mm -hmm. in yeah. every way. So mm -hmm. I think we've been carrying is, the Is that Michelle Obama talking? Is that the young Michelle Obama talking? <laughs> <laughs> we've, just been, we've just been pushed down all the way to the bottom of the totem pole. Just want to know who talking. And I have not gotten anything back for all the work we've done. Mm -hmm. But I think now, obviously, the time has changed. And, you know, people are starting to create things for themselves. They're like, mm -hmm. listen, I can, you know, all the streaming platforms, all the platforms online that people are posting their stuff and not waiting for people anymore or the powers that be. And I think we're, our culture is the culture that pushes, you know, pushes forth the, the conversations. We, we push forward what's cool, right. you know, and we've been doing that for so long. And I think we've been doing it and everybody else has been taking it and capitalizing off of it. And now we're like, wait a second, we're always left behind. Let's do stuff for ourselves. Let's collaborate. And let's let's show who we are. We're very dynamic, well-rounded people in right. every aspect, you know. And so I think it's not that we couldn't do it before. It's just 
the not not only was the opportunity not there, but the tools weren't all there and people weren't leaving doors open for us, you know, or acting like they knew our stories better than we knew it ourselves. So I think just the time timing has changed and people are probably especially people of color, black people are we're sick and tired of being sick and tired of people constantly taking control of our narrative. Wow. And I think you and I think we have we're living in the residual reality of a couple generations of really strong black, you know, of generations of strong black women who really prepared this generation of women, right? Like right. I think if you look at the posture that our moms had, what's interesting is if you look at the research and not just the number of um new entrepreneurs who are African-American women. But if you look at how many of those are first-generation college students, it's pretty mm. staggering. So you have to think about the seeds that were sown, you know, just, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago that said, okay, I'm going to make sure my daughter goes to school. I'm going to make sure that she has this, you know, sort of um, posture of independence. And so, you know, like I said, I really think that this is like the fruit of, of many of our mother's labor too in many yeah. ways. Right. Um, and then I think you see this solidarity forming where there almost seems to be this resistance. For so long, there could only be one of us. And whether it's mm-hmm. teaming or the number of, you know, um, women's groups and sororities and, um, you know, sort of consortiums that you're seeing where, you know, we're pooling our resources uh, and our efforts to really amplify and support each other. It's a really beautiful movement that's going on amongst women of color. I can't tell you on the sugar how many amazing entrepreneurs we have had in one facet or another from interior designers and, and furniture store owners to, um, you know, people in the wellness field who are trans, you know, like Debbie Brown in the wellness field who's really transforming things. But the one through line is that everyone has been so supportive of other women of color. Absolutely. So, so I think there's a kind of a movement or undercurrent there too. You know, it's really a, 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 a the, th- the thing about it is that in hearing both of you articulate the plan, the mission, and I'm talking to Tika Sumter and Ty Randolph, uh, they're the host of The Sugar, one of their many endeavors is a podcast which airs every week and the listeners can laugh, learn, love, and as they spill the sugar instead of the tea, they share information celebrating sisterhood and motherhood. And, you know, the thing about it is that when I... I when you when you mentioned, uh, you know, Jessica Alba, you mentioned uh, some other people, you know... Right now is a podcast, and then you mentioned Red Table. Now, what you guys are doing is not Red Table; it's something totally different. Does this does will this become visual? Will we be able to see this on uh, in a streaming platform, maybe, or a syndicated platform, maybe? Because I'm telling you, Rashawn McDonald's a fan. Because first of all, I love talking to you guys. Y'all really are, you know, just Mud and Jeff, you know, Lauren Hardy. Y'all really are. Y'all opposites, and, and you know, y'all, y'all sound alike. You know, you know. That's why I need to see y'all on TV. Cause I go, is that Tika talking? You know, I gotta put, put that old ear to the to the phone. You know, what who's talking to? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We're actually excited to once we get out. Obviously, once we're all able to leave the house again, we have a lot of plans. You got to. You got to. Yeah, a, a bunch of theories on our on our platform, sugarberry.com, but also, um, yeah, to see the visual of the actual podcast on um, on streaming. Because it's just a wonderful, um, like I said, I'm, I've always been a fan of Volwood Essence Magazine, the Essence Festivals, all those years, and just going down there and seeing 500,000, you know, 
black people to walk around and like at least 80% of them are African-American women walking around, uh, you know, examining their culture, building their culture. And uh, throughout this country, you know, you have a, a, a circle of sisters in New York. That's a giant festival. Charlotte has a giant female festival. So there are always festivals for women geared towards women. But I like the fact that you guys are becoming a voice, an entrepreneurial voice, and saying women are beyond. Let's let's say this: beyond the kitchen, beyond being just cute, being just being being a person, a face of uh, attractiveness. You're business people. You're people who, you know, you your 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 wives. You're raising kids, but guess what? You're more than that. Is that is that basically the story in a in a version of what you guys are trying to accomplish and tell on a daily basis? Not only with your platform, Sugar, but with your brand, Sugarberry. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, mm-hmm. um, you know, motherhood should be enjoyed, not just endured. So we want yes. to tell all these, you know, amazing stories. Yes, but ma'am. I also think, you know, to your point about, you know, not just being a pretty face or not just being, what's, what's so interesting is from a business partnership perspective and, and to Tika's earlier point about finding someone who, you know, is sort of, who balances your strengths and weaknesses, but mm-hmm. also who has the same work ethic. Mm-hmm. Tika is so hands-on, not just in sort of the program, she's hands-on in the creative direction and the programming and the editorial in the deal structures. And so I think that, you know, it's it's really we hope to lay a, a blueprint for you know women and just entrepreneurs in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But but also, um, you know, there's there's space for everyone at the table, and so so much of what we talk about, even on the sugar, is what this journey has been like for us, like launching during the the COVID crisis, and right. you know our own you know sort of hurdles with you know raising capital. So, um, so yes, I, I do think it's a, it's a point of inspiration. Chica, what would you say? Yeah, I think it's a point of inspiration, and I think it's just—I mean, I don't think—I I think having a pretty face is just not enough anymore. It's not, and it's I don't not. think anybody just—I I don't think anybody wants to just be a pretty face. I think they just have to find their passion and what they are really good at, and then go from there, you know, and try to seek the opportunities where they are and start from where you are. So, well, yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, both, I'm talking to very two very smart, smart ladies, and uh, I would say, you know, I saw Tika. I saw in one of these movies. I think you star with Jamie Lee Curtis, and um, mm-hmm. and you were, uh, and, and yeah, right, 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 and you were, um, and you were uh, rattling off these terrorist names, and I went, <laughs> I went, yeah. I went, ain't no way I could say two of those names correctly. You just articulate them so smooth, and so it's just, it's just. <laughs> You know, just little things like that impress me. I'm just sorry, y'all. I'm just a simple guy, Tika, T and T. I'm just simple oh, like that. You know, I'm just simple like that. But the more Honey, important- I was impressed with myself because I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. Girl, you did, did it. it. You did it. I believed you. I believed you. Even if you said the name wrong, you said it clear. <laughs> well, I'm talking to the stars of the Sugar. It's an incredible podcast. Oh, do me this favor. Send me some banners so I can promote. I got, you know, I got my little social media following of almost a million. Under my, uh, I got my fan club over ninety thousand. I got several platforms. I'm a fan, not just a fan of uh, you too. Okay. I'm a fan of what you guys are accompli- accomplishing. And I know a journey takes a lot of village members, and I'm a village. I'm one of the people, y'all. I'm one of the TNT Village people. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate you having we us on. Do. Y'all are awesome. Don't forget me. You're sending those banners. And thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation. Will-
Hi. We sure Thank will. You. Thank you. My next guest is a screenwriter. A screenwriter now. See, I'm a sitcom writer. <laughs> She's a screenwriter. That's a big difference. We're going to talk about that. She is straight out of Compton, California. Both the father and brother formerly served as mayors. I, I'm pretty sure I met them. I'm pretty sure. She holds a Master's of Fine Arts in Screenwriting from Loyola Marymount University, a Master's of Art from Fuller Seminary, and is an ordained minister. So I can't use any extra words on the show. She's on the show to discuss overcoming the odds, being mentored by my man, John Singleton, and the incredible Lifetime movie, The Clark Sisters, First Ladies of Gospel. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Camille Tucker. Hi, Rashawn. Thank you for having me. Camille. So where you at, Camille? What, what part of the country, you know, are you sitting there right now? I'm in L.A. I'm in the L.A. area, L.A., California, Cali. Cali. Straight out of Compton. Huh? Straight <laughs> I out am of, straight out of Compton. I'm proud of it. Straight out of Compton. I, I know Steve Harvey and I, when we was a broadcaster in 2000 to 2005, we did several live broadcasts from City Hall. Ooh. Compton City Ooh. Hall. Now, yeah. you know, so I, I as, 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 you know, and, you know, the interesting thing about it is that when we signed our contract in 2000 to 92.3 to beat, which was in Los Angeles, California, you know, they would do live broadcasts, but they wouldn't do live broadcasts in the black communities. And so, mm. and so it was kind of like, you know, it was always on the perimeter, you know, black people had to come to us. And so right. we went to Baldwin Hills, which is off of Crenshaw in Los Angeles. And we went to Compton. Yeah. People going, y'all going to go to Compton? And we went to Watts. See, these are primary locations. If you're listening from other <laughs> parts of the country, every place I said is black folks. Baldwin Hills, mm -hmm. Watts, yeah. Compton, straight black yeah. people. Okay. They ain't got to come to you. They're going to walk to you. Okay, they don't have to. They don't have to get in a bus. They're gonna just walk up to you and shake your hand, and it and it changed our lives. But more importantly, we wanted to tell a different narrative of what people thought and what they saw in movies, what they saw on TV about black people in these communities. They're just like you. They wanted they they're middle class. They they want to they want better for their children and what they have for themselves. Totally. And, and that and I kind of got that when I was reading your bio about who you are as a person and and knowing that your 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 father was the mayor of Compton and your brother was a mayor of Com was also the mayor of Compton talk about that whole experience and 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 just just growing up in that environment then then moving out of that environment yeah i feel i'm totally a daughter of Compton and something interesting my father Walter R Tucker II used to always say he said that people would say can any good thing come from Compton? Mm -hmm. And he told them, well, they used to say the same thing about Nazareth. Right. My dad used to say that. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And as we know, that's where Jesus came from, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. People mm -hmm. always have a certain stigma about certain locations, and it's not until or certain cities or places, communities. And when you grow up in that community, you know really what the community is. And I grew up in a place where people looked out for each other where they cared about um, the local politics and people involved. They were civic servants. And interestingly, I grew up in a neighborhood called Richland Farms, which was zoned for livestock. Right. So that's something people don't, there were black cowboys in my community mm -hmm. driving down, <laughs> or not driving, riding down riding the street. Down, riding green, down, mm -hmm. riding down. Riding down with their chaps and on horses. Mm -hmm. And so that was really rich. My friend had steer and they used to compete in the 4-H and everything. But what I did see was Venus and Serena practicing at Compton Community College with their father. Mm -hmm. 
So I saw them. I mean, I literally, you know, they, their products of it and other great friends and people that I know, um, just a business colleague, Ava DuVernay and Leslie Sykes fan who's on the ABC channel seven news. So we know that good things and good people can come from anywhere, but Compton is a big part of my writing, my influences, the local color, the people that I met, the interactions that I had living in an all black community and even going to a predominantly white school and just the interesting dichotomy of those experiences is what really inspired me as a writer. So I am grateful for that background and that experience. Well, it, 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 it articulates your tone. And I think that's important because of the fact that that's why I, I feel blessed that I can have this, I think, a natural conversation with you about L.A. from a from a black perspective of how people. Yeah, because you know, rap rap put a label on, you know, rap was successful, but it also led people to believe that, you know, violence, uh, gangsters. And so that that didn't help. It helped the rappers pay pocketbooks, right. but it didn't help the communities. And so per- yeah. perception breeds ignorance sometimes when the ignorance is what you're projecting. And and that's what that's what uh, the neighborhoods like Watts, neighborhoods like Baldwin Hills area, South Central was not even a community, but it became like a community and uh, just an area of the streets that uh, of Crenshaw that you drive down. And then uh, yeah. towards Compton. And uh, and it was really the thought process that watch your back. And now you hear black people watch your back when you go over there, boy. And so now when it gets that, <laughs> well, you deep, know, what's interesting also was my father and his brothers were all doctors mm-hmm. and they had a high rise medical building in the middle of Watts on. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know. So, I mean, we're on a show to tell the truth. That this this one. We're gonna talk about the the first ladies of gospel, we, but we got to tell the truth first, Camille. That's why I brought you on the show. Tell the truth. <laughs> tell the truth, Kurt. Preach a little bit. You ordained minister. Preach a little bit. Preach. Preach. Well, I think what's so cool <laughs> is that you see, and I see, like my father went to Meharry Dental School, mm-hmm. and I remember growing up from my friends from either Compton, Carson, Baldwin Hills, and even some lived in Palos Verdes these African-American men who had gone to Howard, who had Mm -hmm. gone to Morehouse, Mm -hmm. who had gone to like Meharry, my mother went to Fisk, who had a lot of um, just pride and and they're not bad pride, but the pride in what their work, their work ethic and what they did. And they passed down um, great values to us. So what I see, like you said, is middle-class people, working-class people um, who wanted to, the next generation to thrive and i think they passed down great value to us so that's the other side of the story and to be honest when you talk about a window into the clark sisters the way i was raised and my dad was also an associate pastor in the baptist church Mm -hmm. i believe that equipped me or it uniquely spoke to me when this project came to me in 2005 and i saw it was about this strong woman who helped mold her daughters for excellence and wanted them to rise above stereotypes or any kind of thing like that placed on them. And I felt like that was my mother and my father. And I felt like those were the values that were instilled in me. So I could relate so much to that. And I could also relate to raising up and in the scrutiny of the church and how some of that feels and how you're trying to find your voice for me, particularly as a creative artist. So I feel like the way that I was raised and my family and my heritage had a big part of me wanting to tell this story and to be involved in this project. Well, you know, it's interesting because 
you see a lot of things on TV, and I was go, I could never do that because it was it was written with a certain level of sensibility, and uh, and oh. you know I, I believe in God, but not to the way that you've lived a godly life. You know, like you said, raised mm-hmm. in the church, father, minister. You know, you became an ordained minister, but still have everyday life. But I wasn't always living a godly life. <laughs> come on, now, come on, oh, I know. I, I was oh, UCLA listen, freshman year, Rashawn. I was the, come partying. Come, come here, you're ordained minister. We can't go like that now. We I can't gotta, go like that. We can't go like that. I, I gotta, gotta tell you, you the gotta, truth. It's you gotta part stay of my. It's gotta be part of none, my religious. Gotta, <laughs> it's part of my experience. That's why I came to the Lord. Come here. What I'm just saying is that. See, you just yeah, jumped out there. See, can, you, can you let me just do my show a little bit? Can you, can you just let me please. lavish praise on please. you? Because I'm please. just saying, you, you 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 have a shaped life. In other words, you know, you have the title of being an ordained ordained minister, and that's why I wanted. Yes. that's why I wanted to start with the straight out of Compton story. You know, say so we can shape who yeah. you are, because a lot of people don't understand how you get to these places. That's why I want to bring up John Singleton in a minute. Because see these yeah. all these things shape you to be able to tell a story. Like I said, we're watching this movie, this amazing movie, because I had Kira Shear it on it. They they let me see the movie prior to it premiering on uh, Lifetime. So I I was like all in. I couldn't even wait to talk to her about it, you know. And then so <laughs> so when it aired, I was telling her, gotta watch it, gotta watch it, gotta watch it. I said, This movie's amazing. This movie's amazing. <laughs> because reason I say that, because you know, here are the Clark sisters, and then you talk about Rochelle. I wasn't always like ordained because in this movie it wasn't a goody two-shoe story okay that's right it shows some dark sides and so that is why i have to tell people well how did she why was she able to pull it out because look at who she is she she's a black woman Blew up in a black community, mm-hmm. not not a not a, a, with a bad rep, the, the, the world saw it a different way than she lived it. She went to a white environment, educating that process, and so you walk so many different lanes, and because you walk so many yeah. different lanes, it allows you to see. Can I tell an honest story here? Because they could have sugarcoated a lot of things. Mama Clark, she could have been like a cool lady. You know, but she mm-hmm. wasn't. She was a tough. You know, and I told Kira, I said, Kira, she was kind of tyrannical to me. Kira, Mom, she wasn't tyrannical. Hey, 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 I'm just saying. You know, she's pretty dominant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, you know I, was, I was just letting you know what I saw. I saw a dominating personality. Yeah. You know, this woman said, this woman said, poor po- po- homegirl, she couldn't even have a life. She had to drive her mama everywhere. And so, so, but this was part of the story. The, the, the you know, the, the grandfather, or the father of their, of them, of the Clark sisters, were uh, he was, you know, physically abused his mama. So that stuff yeah. could have been left out. But y'all yeah. told a real story. That's why I loved it. And it's it's a blessing that you had the ability to craft the story and then co-write the story. That's a journey in itself, isn't it? Yes, so much a journey. And a worthy journey and a journey I'm so grateful for to be a part of that experience. And I had to dig in the deepest part of myself to help tell that story. Now, let me ask you this. In the the process of telling an honest story, you know, we all know this is as honest as it's going to get. Were there any pushback on certain storylines that were developed that weren't flattering? Were there any pushback? Yeah, there was no pushback. The Clark sisters were very open yes, and ma'am. very vulnerable and wanted the truth to be told. Mm-hmm. I would say that there were certain things that we wanted to do more nuanced. Like you'll notice when the scene between um, Maddie and her husband, you don't see the violence on screen. Right. It's behind the closed doors. 
And that was an adjustment to bring more nuance. So Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to see it, but you know what's happening. And that's how some of the younger daughters experienced, you know, some of the drama that was going on in the household. Right. So, um, yeah, I think little changes like that can sometimes make the story more powerful. Well, that's old school movie telling. You know, back in the day, Mm -hmm. you know. You know, when people were about to make love, they just, they, they, they faded to dark, then they come back smoking cigarettes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you freedom about knew something happened between the fade to dark and the cigarette smoking. And, 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 and so I got that. And that's why, and I felt that that's the only way you should tell this story. Because if you went any darker, that's a different story. The story is about yeah. this mom who was on a mission, a godly mission. You know, to 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 empower her daughter because she said, "Look, you guys are not going to be cooks and maids." She was passionate about that. She yeah. wanted more for her daughters, and I'm talking right. to my friend uh, Camille Tucker. You know, amazing uh, writer. The hit movie on uh, Lifetime it'll be re-aired. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The Clark Sisters, the first ladies of gospel. Woo! The film was the highest-rated original movie of the year across all networks with a viewership of 2.7 million. Lifetime is happy. Very happy. And now it's up to 11 million. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? She, she won't let me get none of my facts out. I, I'm just so tired of you, Camille. You just go let you just go just take all my little thunder, huh? The thing about it, I don't want to tell the movie. Um, but um it was compelling. I didn't know where the story was gonna go. The fact that uh, they were from Detroit in the heart of the Motown era, and their mom said, No, you're doing gospel. And they could yeah. all blow. They could blow. Yeah. They were attractive and could blow. Let's me know that they were doing Jackson 5 was just eating up the airwaves, radio waves. And but she was on a mission. Can you can you give us an insight that uh what 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 made the Clark sisters, besides being talented, what made them successful? Yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, I just want to also give honor to the beautiful queens, the Clark sisters, and thank them for their life and their legacy to tell this story. But, you know, there's a key line that um, Dr. Maddie Mosclar says. She says, I'm going to make you stars for Jesus. Right. And so she was determined that they stayed in the church. But I think two things are very interesting. Number one, they call it one voice in the movie. At one point, we were kind of toying around with the phrase family blend. Mm-hmm. And those sisters are anointed because their voices are all sound like one voice. Right. And their blend is perfect. And I think that there's something that happens with families, like God does something magical in the DNA that, you know, one sings first soprano, the other sings second soprano, the other one sings alto, the other one's contra alto, the other one's tenor. How do you get each daughter has that different range? How do you, you don't plan that. So that is like fascinating to me. And I think that's one of the reasons that they are so successful because of that family blend. It sounds like honey. It sounds like their voices are coming down from heaven. And then the other thing, in addition to all of them having a very unique gift that blends together, Twinkie's musical writing genius is huge. See, the thing about Twinkie is she studied musical theory and she combined different genres. And we saw that with You Brought the Sunshine, but she was doing that all the time. She'd be like, I want some jazz, I want some reggae, mm-hmm. I want some R&B, I want some gospel. And she'd mix them together and come up with songs. 
And that was, I think, big in terms of people being like, this is unique. This is fresh. So I think that was a big part of it, too. Well, you know, it really was. You know? I think that she wrote over 250 songs. I believe that was one of the credits yes. that I read yes. at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. It was, You know, the, the thing about it is that, you know, and watching it, because, you know, you got to watch the movie. Well, they don't all turn out good for all clock sisters, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, and that's, a, that's a point that I think that one can have a vision and a, and, a, and a focus and say, this is what I think you should do. But everybody wants to live their own lives. And sometimes, yeah. and when you do that, you see that in you know, groups break up. I was looking at the Kiss. Yeah. The Kiss uh, break, break another band. You know, they were talking about how Gene and he stayed and the other two went, to, went away. And so then they wanted to come back. And so it's like a lot of people... I, what my biggest takeaway was that the reason the Clark sisters are very successful. Yes, the mom was very driven. Okay, but the daughters yeah. were willing to work hard. They were yeah, willing to find hard. that one note that you're talking about, yeah. one note, mm-hmm. and they were willing to, to, to drive her everywhere. But the other thing that came out of it is that she was a female in a very, very male-dominated world. Yes, absolutely. And it showed itself a couple of times when uh, when they were dealing with the record deal uh, as a promoter. Okay, because she was booking their dates, and then yes. the church. Yeah. How did how did that play a role in your storytelling? It was so important to me because I did not know really as much about Doctor Maddie Moss Clark before I started on this project, mm-hmm. and I felt like we have these unsung heroes and he- heroes and heroines, and I felt like she was someone so critical and such a trailblazer for that time that a lot of people didn't know about. And I felt challenged and I felt honored. Like I want the people to know about this woman who was um, really kind of bucking the standard. Right. And I believe helped bring about change in the church of God and Christ. Right. I feel like some of the way that the church of God and Christ is now, whereas you can see the Clark sisters being able to cross different platforms, go into you know, seeing in secular arenas or go to Essence Fest or whatever, wear pants and things like that. Mm-hmm. We have to give a tribute to going with, I think the Clark sisters were the ones that helped forge that path, you know, and Dr. Maddie Moss Clark helped forge that path. Right. So I see her as someone just like how we, um, and I don't want to like compare importance to people, but we give tribute to like Harriet Tubman or we said she was a great woman in history and she helped change things. And I feel like Dr. Maddie Moss Clark too. And also having her doctorate in music and everything. Mm-hmm. So I look at that and I'm like, thank you for women like that who had the courage that opened opportunities for women like me today and other women, whether they're singers, artists, or what have you. Um, yeah. And it's fascinating to me. Well, you know, I thought it was important for, you know, for you, what you're articulating is very important, but I view what they accomplished and still accomplishing today was the mm-hmm. gospel version of what Destiny Child became. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, that's a good. You know, you know, because of uh, an, an amazing breakthrough. Because Destiny Child, that was an industry dominated by whites. Okay, what they did, you know, yeah. R&B group that became a a pop powerhouse, pop powerhouse. Yeah, yeah. And, and we know that you know gospel know. music at that time was just dominated by ministers and men dominated that sound. And then you, but and that was that that what made her so driven in that scene that she talks to the church and they, you know, like I said, the, the cool thing is that 
when I'm telling you this story, I'm telling you about a journey. And it's a journey from, you know, when it, the first thoughts and it carries through the ups and downs, the pains of success, the unexpected lows of success. Because, you know, when you're, because, mm-hmm. you, you know, mm-hmm. when you're on a journey of success, you expect it to just be upwardly, just go skyrocket. But it doesn't. This, for somehow, you guys are able to, to, to show their, their relationships with the, when they, you know, because, because what, 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 what Mama Clock didn't bet on was other outside relationship tearing a group apart in her eyes. You know, these girls are yeah. going to eventually become women and women are eventually going to meet men. And men are going to have to have decisions with the women or the wives and all this stuff. That's what she didn't prepare for. And that really was the her most um, humbling part of how to deal with that and come to grips with that. And I thought you guys did a very good job of that in your storytelling. Yeah, thank you. And I know one of the scenes that, like, I'm hearing feedback from people, the scene with Twinkie and, and her new husband and um, how it was relayed to us. And that's a scene that's really getting a lot of people. Um, and that's a, a pretty powerful scene. There's several scenes in that film that are just like, whoa. Outside you know? the church was powerful. On the the, the, the interaction was powerful. with John Terrell and, and Mama Clark and, and Dr. Maddie Mock Clark, you know. Y'all had, a plenty, um, y'all had plenty of powerful scenes. No, don't underserve yourself. You know, it was so many act break, act break. Act break. Go to commercial. <laughs> it was so many great scenes, and I, I'm just happy I got to see it just straight through. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just so amazing moment. But I also want to let point out this is that it was a note that it was so many stars in social media that got on board with this project. Taraji P. Henson, yeah. the man Tyler Perry, Mariah Carey, you know, Ava DuVernay, Janet Jackson. So many people just said, watch, for so many different genres. How did that make you feel? This is your little project. You started in 2005. This is the Clark Sisters on Lifetime. We all pray for a big <laughs> moment. We always say, hey, man, this can be the one. But when you start seeing these media posts, because I know what it can do, because that's, that's what happened to me on Think Like a Man, the first movie, because every P did it. Yeah. You know, Dwayne Wade, you know, uh, Kevin Hart. Of course, all these people were just posting left and right. And that we made $33 million our opening weekend. So I know what happens when you when you push a brand and this got pushed so much in social media. And like you said, it's like you said, it's 11 million now viewers now. OK, so I just, yeah. you know, yeah, the 2.7 the first <laughs> night I calculated that if it was a theatrical lease would have been forty three million dollars, which is amazing. But it feels I feel blessed. I feel humble. I feel uh-huh. I'm still processing it, Rashawn, honestly. Well, I you know, saw LeBron James had Jamie Foxx, Mariah Carey, Janet Jackson, and I'm really still Priscilla Shear, um, Martha Manuzzi, and I'm still just like, God, you know, thank you. Like, I'm really just, my heart is full and opportunities are opening up and I'm very excited about, you know, just just being able to be in this place. I don't think any of, we thought that people would connect, but this means it really connected with an audience. Absolutely. And, 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 and I'd be remiss. I, w- I know we're wrapping up, but I want to talk about John Singleton. Mm-hmm. Um, he was your mentor. Yeah. And uh, and we yeah. all know, you know, um, what he's done in his business. And, and uh, you know, when you start talking about black directors, male directors, you know, Spike Lee, John Singleton. You know, they they yeah. broke the ground yeah. for us. They broke the ground for us on, and doing it different ways, doing it their way. 
So tell me, how did you create a relationship with or get your relationship started? And how did he impact who you are becoming and how he helped you along the way? <laughs> I met John when we were both in college, actually. He mm-hmm. was at USC and I was at UCLA. So he was at my Crosstown rival. And <laughs> he was directing a music video, actually. And I was in the video. And that's how we first met. <laughs> And after we both graduated and started forging our paths as filmmakers, he came to me and my former writing partner one day about a script called Gold Diggers, and we ended up writing it together and selling it to Universal. It didn't get made, but during that process, the thing that I learned most from John is about craftsmanship. He would sit and watch movies with me and walk me through frame by frame what was going on in the film, what the filmmaker was doing and taught me about about cinematic language. Mm -hmm. And I will always be grateful for him for that because I think we have to be artists and we also have to be business people, which is part of what you talk about with Money Matters. Um, But on the artist side, that really opened up my world to see that cinematic language and to try to take that into every project that I do. Um, And he was a cinematic, brilliant, director and i see the same thing in christine swanson who directed the clark sisters you know right that's what makes the difference when we see a film like every frame is so beautifully shot and a part of telling the story and that's what really motivates me to continue to be a storyteller like that well you know camille you know this is a one big moment this is one big on your resume what's 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 next for you what what's what what do we got looking in the future for you I have an inspirational romantic comedy called Blessed in the City, which is based on my real life. And Mm -hmm. I would say it's the woman of faith version of sex and the city. (laughs) So in sex and the city, they were having a lot of sex. And in my movie, they aren't having a lot of sex. Right, right, right. Blessed in the city. It's about dating sexually abstinently and dating and seeking God in your relationship. I also have a project called The Kennedys of Compton, which is a TV pilot, and it's about a black political family in Compton, California. Wow. Well, first of all, I'm a fan, and you know, I direct I direct message you and say, "Hey, will you do my show?" And you say, "Rishon, they've already contacted me." So, uh, you know, it made me look bad. I thought I was about to, you know, slide on in, act like I'm doing some big doggish. You know, now they've already contacted me. I'm going to do the show. Well, I'm a fan, and and know that uh, anything you do, blessed in the city, come out. Please know you can come here first or for some other project that you're doing. But thank you. Congratulations. It is a fantastic movie. I've been putting it. I put a banner in my uh, fan club. It went out to 90,000 people last weekend. Oh, I like to believe I'm contributing you. to those millions that are watching it. I've social media posted uh, on my other platforms other than LinkedIn. So, Camille, I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I may not be Janet Jackson. I might not be Tyler Perry. I might not be Ava DuVernay. I might not be Taraji P. Henson. I'm just Rashawn McDonald and Money Making Conversations, girl. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you you. so much. You're a dynamic man and a great role model and friend. I appreciate you. Thank you. And 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 my friend Sherry McGee McCovey says hello. Come on, come on, come on. That girl right there. You know, it's really nice that when 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 I look at my life, and I feel you, you're part of my life. And I look at people like Sherry and so many other people who've shaped me and, and have supported me. And because all my you know, people look at my life, they look at the, 
the outside of my life. They don't look at how it's got there or the down moments in my life. And the people like Sherry McGee's of the world, the, the Felicia Henderson's of the world, the Sarah Finney Johnson's yeah. of the world. These people yeah. have always been there from a female side that have always couldn't believe how talented I was and couldn't believe how crazy I was. But when it wasn't going, when all the craziness was taking over and, they, and I needed support, they were there for me. So I I, I, I yeah. consider that relationship I'm going to have with you, Camille. You are now one of my sisters. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for the interview. Take care, my friend. Okay. Bye-bye. My next guest is a mental health advocate and the founder of Silence to Shame. It is a nonprofit organization that focuses on education and awareness around mental health. Before she founded Silence to Shame, she worked in the entertainment business for over 25 years, where she worked directly with some of the music business top talent like Outkast, Usher, Prince, TLC, Tony Braxton, Erica Bonet, and excuse me, Erica Badu, and many more. She's on the show today to talk about and share her journey with her own emotional health and wellness that she wants to help change the world and make it make it make people understand the struggle is something that we all can help and uh, make this global movement something that everybody should be in, be a part of. Please welcome the Money Making Conversations, the founder of Silence the Shame, Shanti Doss. Hello, Rashawn. How you doing, Miss Doss? Doss Effects, I'm as you say, Doss Effects. Effects. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shanti so Doss Effects. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, you got that little <laughs> cool name, though. You know, people, you know, a little rapper name. A little rapper name. Yeah. <laughs> Out there rapping up the game and mental health, a mental health advocate. You know, it, it, That's it, right. first of all, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, when, this, when this interview was brought to me, um, because I, I felt it was important that I made time and, and got it into my schedule because I had to move some things around because within the Appreciate black community, you know, the community of color, you know, we always mm-hmm. the last to admit we are, we the last mm-hmm. to admit. That's why we always pop up on HIV. We always pop up mm-hmm. on poverty. We always right now with the pandemic, we're, we're losing lives faster in the color community than anyway, because we in the, in the gay community, we, we won't, won't acknowledge that. And so mm-hmm. especially when you talk about mental health, that's another leg of the information line pipeline that we want to like ignore that is important mm-hmm. that we accept and get into the responsibility of that. Tell us about your journey. This is a long interview, but I want you to start telling us about the journey where you had to open up and 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 about your it's it's depression, right? Yeah, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. So so Rashawn, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. And and what you're saying is is 100% right. Oftentimes in the African American community, we're the last ones to talk about it. We don't address it. Uh, before I share a little bit about my journey, I'll just tell you a quick statistic. Right. Uh, African Americans are 20% more likely to have more serious psychological distress than white adults, and our African American teenagers are more likely to attempt suicide than white teenagers that. Uh, 8.3% versus 6.2%. So, Rashawn, I, I grew up, you know, in African-American culture. Obviously, my mom's black. My dad was actually Indian. Right. But he took his own life when we were when I was seven months old. And mm-hmm. So he left my mom and, and, and my two siblings and I. We never went to counseling. We didn't talk about it as a family. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, I have this great career in music. But I had all this trauma built up from my childhood that I had never addressed. So when I started dealing with my own high levels of stress and anxiety, it then turned into depression. And mm-hmm. I finally went to counseling in my 30s to try to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not 
stick with counseling. One, because I don't know, working in the music industry, I thought if I was shaping the careers of all this artists, I didn't need nobody to fix me. Right. I could do it myself. It was my ego. But I, but that was wrong. And I, and I wish I would have done counseling um, more consistently back in the day. And so fast forward to uh, the year 2014, my best friend took her own life and I blamed myself for her suicide. And then in 2015, Rashawn, I came really close to taking my own life. I had just kind of gone into a downward spiral. My mother had Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. I had some health issues. I had Mm -hmm. some financial struggles I was going through. And it just kind of all came to a head. And that's why I started Silence of Shame so that I could... One, get my own help and help other people um, to really focus on their mental health. What exactly is depression? I guess that's the question I need to, uh, because that allow, allow us to understand if we if we have some of the, 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 the qualities that we should be aware of. So in terms of some of the symptoms of depression, you know, right. mm-hmm. uh, I, I like to say um, that it really depends on your overall behavior patterns. That's why right. oftentimes you hear people refer to it as behavioral health as opposed to mental health. Now, some right. of the symptoms can be feeling sad or having a depressed mood, loss of interest or pleasure in activities that you once enjoyed. Um, change in appetite, weight loss, or gain unrelated to dieting where you can't really put your finger on why you're losing so much weight. Right. Um, if you're having too much trouble sleeping at night, if you're feeling worthless or guilty, because like for me, Rashawn, I felt like, you know, maybe God was done with me. You know, maybe, you know, everything that I needed to do on this earth was done. So I had prolonged feelings of hopelessness. Um, I didn't really want to hang out with friends anymore. I didn't even want to wake up, honestly, and open the blinds in the morning. And I also started using, um, you know, alcohol sometimes as a coping mechanism, which we know is a, a natural depressant. And so some of those social drinks, you know, started making me feel even more depressed. And so I just did not have any healthy coping mechanisms. And, of course, thoughts of suicide or death is an obvious sign of depression. Well, you know, the thing about it is that let's, let's talk about your journey. Because, see, sometimes when we're when we just on a mission and our goals are just to get to a certain place. Because you went from an intern to an executive VP mm-hmm. and including mm-hmm. musicians at Capitol Records, LaFace Records, Columbia mm-hmm. Records, Sony Urban Music, and Universal Motown. So these are not mm-hmm. these are these, these are what they call top of the food chain opportunities. <laughs> and so, right. and so when you when you're grinding, you can't ignore you can't ignore symptoms because you say I, I'm on a mission. Let me just that's not important yeah. to me right now. So when did it start mm-hmm. being important to you to understand what was going on in your personal life? Because I'm sure these uh, depression or anxiety symptoms anxiety affected your relationship not only personally but business wide as well. Eventually, right? Oh, sure. So I think the first time, Rashawn, that I probably recognized that I might have um, an issue going on personally was in 2001. Right. It was when um, LaFace Records, Babyface in L.A. sold the company um, to BMG. And so L.A. Reid moved to New York to replace Clive Davis at Arista Records. And so I was in more of a corporate setting. It was a high-stress environment. You know how it is when one regime comes and there's another regime right. in there. And uncertainty. It's a little mm-hmm. uncertainty and friction, and everybody's trying to dock for their position. So, I, you know, I wasn't trying to run to L.A. with all my problems and issues, but I didn't have an outlet. And I didn't even recognize that I could have reached out to HR to find, you know, um, any sort of resources um, from a therapy perspective. And so I remember one day I was so frustrated and, and I was on the phone with my sister and my boyfriend. And I said, you know, I can't really take this pressure anymore. I don't know how to handle it. Maybe I should just kill myself. Wow. That scared me to death, Rashawn, because mm-hmm. 
you know, I did not have a plan at that time, but the fact that I even uttered those words and it was something that my dad had actually done, it mm-hmm. really terrified me. Mm-hmm. And my sister was like, well, first of all, we're going to get through this. Even right. if you got to quit and <laughs> find something yeah, else. Calm, calm down now. Calm <laughs> we, down. We're we going to deal with this. But mm-hmm. second of all, you got to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. That's when mm-hmm. shortly thereafter, Rashawn, I went to therapy and addressed the issue of my father's suicide because right. I never wanted to even utter those words. So I think that was probably the first time in my early 30s when I started addressing emotional health and wellness in, cool. in the right way. Yeah, well, we're speaking to Shanti Doss. Uh, so I would say her name's like a rapper, you know, but she's an advocate <laughs> of mental health. And um, she's yeah. uh, also the founder of Silence to Shame. You know, really, I'm, when I look at my life, I've, a, I've always had a pretty intense life. Shanti. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. and, and sometimes it feels like the whole world's on me. I have a I have a what has saved me is that on, on, on my property in Atlanta, I have a little lake where I can go down oh, nice. and I can just look at the water. I always told my wife that's the water, so therapeutic. Yeah, the water saves me because just watching those ripples mm-hmm. and I can see little minnows and fish and frogs jumping around. That's right. It calms me down. And so so mm-hmm. it I also so that, that that's an outlet that kind of saves me from just going to the next level because like you said, when people when you reach a certain portion or a certain uh, point in, in in your career Especially if you're a minority, there are not many people you can go talk to, and then there's not many people you want to show flaws or showing uh, weaknesses to. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times mm-hmm. you just keep it all on yourself, and so right. so you got to have that outlet. And I'm just letting you know my outlet for me that saved me was that water. It was going down there. I have a giant mm-hmm. rock. I've, I potentially put that rock. As a, I said, I want to put a big rock so I can sit on this rock whenever I sit down there. If I feel like fishing, it just saves me and calms me down. But that's one of the principles of being able to deal with anxiety, being able to deal right. with depression is we finding these outlets. We call coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And, and so, so, I, so I, I naturally, I'm not saying I'm a depressed person. I'm not saying I have anxiety mm-hmm. values or symptoms. I'm just saying that we right. all get to that point where the world can jump on you. Where do you go to escape or cope with it? So that, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you brought up water because, um, you know, psychiatrists and therapists have often talked about how water in the ocean or even a lake can just have a calming effect on your mind because it puts you in a, a in just a really, you know, mild state of mind and kind of right. helps to recenter yourself. So what we like to call those is healthy coping mechanisms or forms of self-care. Right. There are a lot of different things you can do in terms of self-care. For me, it's like I actually like to take a walk in the park. Right. You know, I lost my sister unexpectedly last year. And mm-hmm. so this week was her one year anniversary. And so I found myself kind of in a way feeling a little anxious. So I just got out of the house and went and took a, you know, one hour walk in the park and it just made me feel so much better. You know, I like nature and the the trees and the wind was blowing and it was just a great day for me to be out in nature. Other people like to exercise because it's been proven scientifically that when you get your endorphins going, it actually puts you in a better mood. You feel better about yourself. Also having, you know, a proper diet because oftentimes there are certain foods that we can eat um, that can weigh down on us um, and certain fatty foods that can cause us to become depressed. So we recommend that you have a healthy diet. Um, Also, you know, taking naps, getting adequate sleep is extremely 
extremely important. And that right. um, leads to overall health and wellness. So it's a lot of different things. And I tell people, like, you like the, the lake, Rashawn, you got to do what works for you. Right, Just because right. I like to go take a walk. You know, you might not like to walk, but you right. might like to dance or right. do Zumba or something. So right. you got to do what works for you. Zumba. Zumba out there. Zumba. Peloton. That's right. Or go fishing. Whatever it is. A lot of people like to go fishing. Or they might want to, you know, log on to club quarantine and party with D-Night. Absolutely. You know, whatever it is. Well, you know, the beauty of this conversation that we're going to continue in the next break, I'm talking to Shanti Doss, you know, um, the founder of Silence to Shame. She's creating a global movement. We're going to talk about big event that's coming up because May is National Mental Health Month, correct? And yes, Awareness correct. Month. And then also she has a big, uh, uh, I guess, say a fundraiser. Uh, that's yep. happening May 5th. We're going to talk about that in the next break. But so great to have you on the show because the fact that, you know, a lot of things that are happening to people are is very relatable. And we want to talk about some yep. more instances about me personally talking about certain things. I get in crisis situations and how I deal with it. May is Mental Health Awareness Month and National Silence the Shame Day is Tuesday, May 5th. That day, Silence the Shame will be hosting the Big Texathon. Why is it important that uh, w- this Big Texathon is happening? I know about the awareness, but what is, what, what, what is being accomplished with the Big Texathon? So we're really excited about the Texathon. Um, it allows for Silence to Shame to raise funds for um, an increase in our programs, resources, um, scholarship funds that we're putting together. And we are also planning to donate a portion of the proceeds, Rashawn, to some uh, therapists so that they can provide th- free therapy during the pandemic for some of their clients. And that's been, a, I've been noticing that a, a lot. A lot of more um, uh, mental health experts have been coming on national platforms and local mm-hmm. platforms mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a, it's a stress that uh, is not normal for everybody. I know at times that, and I'm a guy who's goal oriented and I'd sit around the house and go, what am I going to do? You know, and I've had, I've had to include, I've had to include exercise in my life. I've I, I had to include, a, I put more of a routine. I have to develop an at home routine to be able to get me through that. Uh, or just walking around my yard, uh, listening to music more. These are the things that have like calmed yep. me down. And I think that's what we're talking about: calming your your inner being down, your emotions down, so it doesn't go spike. And that's what I've been trying to right. avoid. And just usually natural process. But a lot of people don't, don't don't have these techniques worked out like I've worked out myself. How can they? Is there <laughs> is there is it a website they can go to that you guys have found? It was uh, talk to us about those those different techniques. So, you know, there are a lot of of really great resources out there. Um, Mm -hmm. We, um, if you go on to silenceofshame.com and go under um, how to get help or resources, we have organizations that we partner with like NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. They have a lot of great resources out there. Also, psychologytoday.com. I'm also reading an article on Huffington Post, and I just Google water and the effects of calming. And it says why water makes us feel calm. You know, scientists have released studies showing that people who live near the ocean or water um, report feeling less stress and better health. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still a a mystery, I think, to psychologists, but we do know that the water has calming effects. And so, you know, it's a ton of organizations that can offer different wellness resources. So, you know, like I said, go on to our website and check it out. Well, I, I, I will go on your website because I can never I, I can always be educated. Like I said, I've, I've just been naturally doing something that and I bought the house that I live in intentionally because it did have water 
behind the house mm-hmm. and, I, and it was it mm-hmm. was moving water because the mortar doesn't just, just stay there so it really is a right. lot of little things that naturally translate into calming me down and when you look That's at right. when, when you're in a business and I'm an African-American male and I'm in a business mm-hmm. where you know deals are big representing talent and that's what you were in mm-hmm. you were in you know you know Capitol Records LaFace Records Columbia Records you know where an album mm-hmm. can get everybody excited and, 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 and the poor sales of an album or talent can leave or come or talent can have an attitude the talent can get sick on the tour it's so many variables right. that are not normal to everyday life you know the cool thing about mm-hmm. being an entrepreneur that's what we're talking about entrepreneurs on this show is that you just you you wake up but you don't know if a customer's going to show up you don't know if the the the, the oven that you are going to be baking is going to work we don't know anything the circumstances that's aren't right. as laid out and that creates stress now that stress can lead into anxiety which can lead into depression and so Right now, when you hear me talk, Miss Doss, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in control. I'm not saying I'm in control, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm in right. control. Where does a person like me get out of control or need a, need counseling or what are the true signs of a person like me? We talked about it a little bit earlier, but now that you hear mm-hmm. me talk, a guy who's supposed to have his act together, but still may need therapy. So, you know, again, I think it varies from person to person. Um, what I will say is because yes, we all have been quarantined in this quarantine and dealing with this pandemic, I yes, think ma'am. we've seen a heightened level or sense of anxiety. Um, I think when you start feeling like you're, you feel like there's some impeding danger or you're panicking or oftentimes we've seen um, heart attacks. Um, be mimicked as panic attacks or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you're sweating a lot, if you're trembling, if you're feeling tired or weak, or if you're having trouble concentrating and you're constantly worrying, that might be time to actually talk to someone right. and consider seeing a therapist. What I tell people, you know, therapy isn't just when something is wrong. You know, I like to look at therapy as a wellness tool. I know people that have, you know, just like they talk to, you know, high High net worth individuals like yourself or people that work in high pressure jobs, you know, you have your accountant, you have your lawyer, you have your life coach. You know, why not, why not couple your therapist, therapist, right? Mm -hmm. And bring them into that, you know, group of individuals that kind of make you flow from, from a day to day perspective. It's like you need to make sure that you're utilizing therapy. Um, when something isn't just always wrong, because it's good to talk to someone, um, from an objective perspective. And I tell people, you know, Sometimes you might have to, it's like dating, you know, you got to keep trying a couple times until <laughs> you find the right therapist that's fit for you. Because I've heard people say, oh, I went to therapy once. It didn't work for me. Right. But right. that doesn't mean you have to stop, right? right. That's mm-hmm. just like your primary health care position. Mm-hmm. You get a doctor you don't like. Well, mm-hmm. you go find another good one. Um, because you want to, again, make sure you have healthy coping mechanisms to get throughout your day. Well, you know, I, lo- I love the passion in your voice. I love the energy in your voice. I I, re- I read your bio and you've been recognized globally about your efforts with, with Silas the Shane, which is really important because this when you take a passion, because you was headed down one direction, 25 years. That's right. Making stars, yep. you know, selling records, yep. uh, making videos. Yep. And then all of a sudden, this would, I, and I look at pictures too. I look at pictures. I look at the interviews. Mm-hmm. I... It feels like because you're doing this for you and you're making a difference mm-hmm. because it's you, you know, mm-hmm. a, a lot of people always talk about, you know, when I managed Steve Harvey and I stopped managing him and started doing my own thing. That was a transition. It was mm-hmm. a difficult transition for me, but I'm doing I'm it for sure. Sean McDonald now. 
And there you go. Money making conversation is for Rashawn McDonald. What I the values that I want to promote, the values that mm-hmm. I want to put out there, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's what I hear in your voice. I mean, the articulation, the the confidence, you know, something that you couldn't talk about, something you really didn't understand. You're an expert mm-hmm. in it, and you want everybody to understand that there is a reason you should act this way, and you should not not be ashamed. Key is be ashamed if you're feeling or acting different for what they call normal situations when stress or anxiety falls upon your plate. Because I want to go to this new Instagram live show that you're doing during this pandemic period. It's called uh, a Yeah Wellness Check In, where you interview celebrities. Tell us about that. You know, that's transition there, Ms. Dallas. I was just transitioning. That's all. I love it. I love it. So, you know, of course, I think when the quarantine first happened, like everybody else, I was nervous about, you know, will the foundation be able to continue to get funds? You know, what am I going to do? Because I was doing a lot of paid speaking dates, going to companies, sharing my story around right. social mm-hmm. health and wellness. And of course, all that got canceled. Mm-hmm. So, you know, God, I just sat still one morning and God was like, you can still be of service to others and the yes. money will come. Don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. So I just woke up one morning and sat still and allowed God to speak to me. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's all about wellness. I was like, yeah, wellness. So I was mm-hmm. doing my own little brainstorming session and I came up with the name and then I got the IG live handle and, you know, formed the company and, and I it started texting my friends. So I texted Charlemagne, who's a radio, you know, well-known radio host. Yeah, Breakfast Club. Saying, That's my man, Charlemagne the God. Yep, Charlemagne the God. So mm-hmm. Charlemagne, he was my first guest. He was like, of course I'll do it. Then mm-hmm. I texted one of my close friends, actress Tisha Campbell. She agreed to do it. She's mm-hmm. been on the show. I've had um, D-Nice. I've had Karen Civil. I've had the singer Estelle. Um, I've had in- former NBA player TNT um, commentator Chris Weber, mm-hmm. Erica Campbell from Mary Mary. I mean, the list goes on because mm-hmm. everybody at this time, you know, feels like, you know, right or wrong, mental health is just at the, you know, the forefront of everything, you know, not necessarily right or wrong, but, you know, I think people are feeling anxious during this time. And to be able to check in with some of these celebrities, you know, to show everyday people like, look, we all are going through this. You know, it's not just you don't think something is wrong with you and and there's help out there if you need it. And it's nothing to be embarrassed about. So being able to start this year wellness platform, I think has been a real blessing um, just to show everybody that, guess what? At the end of the day, we're all human. We all may experience this, but at the same time, help is available. We don't have to live in the valley, right? We go through so much trials and tribulations in our lives, but we may have ups and downs in terms of our emotions and our mental health, but help is available. And that is the one thing that we're trying to do with Silence to Shame is to let people know that if you need help, you can get it. Wow. It really is important. It's really interesting when you when you start a platform and you can call on people, important people, and they respond. Mm-hmm. That's important. But yep. in hearing your conversation, Absolutely. something that came out of uh, out of that conversation to me that was really important. Sometimes we we use work or busy to hide anxiety or to hide That's depression. Right. And it and, mm-hmm. it and then when you hide it, it pops up someplace else. It can pop up in a relationship, mm-hmm. sudden anger. Mm-hmm. It can pop up yep. in parenting, screaming at your kids, mm-hmm. uh, abusing your kids. You know, mm-hmm. and abuse can be a different way, just striking your kid or punching your kid unnecessarily. There are different ways of That's abuse. Right. It doesn't have to be just pounding on your kid to abuse your kid or abuse your mate. And so, yeah. so we can mess. So, so when I was hearing you talk, I was like, man, you know, because you can just be busy, 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 but really have mm-hmm. a problem with mm-hmm. why you're just being busy. And you and you and yeah, you, and I call that a high functioning person, right? That's go. dealing with depression. There yep. you go. 
you know, really, I'm just popping out. I'm just living this little crazy life. I'm at the lake, just calming myself down. You said that's coping, you know, high, mm-hmm. high functioning mm-hmm. person, mm-hmm. all this anxiety and depression. Cause you know, depression come, can come at you in different waves. You know, when you don't get a deal or something important happens to you, how do you recover from that? You know, have you planned? And you know, for- I tell people, Rashawn, so when, not to cut you off, I'm sorry, but, but to what you're saying is <laughs> so important. Cause I want people to know. That sometimes we can be really, really sad, but that doesn't mean that we're depressed, right? Right. right. Mm-hmm. So you gotta like take a serious look at it, because I don't want people to think uh, the takeaway from the video is that you know we're all depressed. But I would tell people we all go through sadness and Absolutely. we may experience anxiousness, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that we're depressed. But if that those feelings and those thoughts really prolong, and then your family or your colleagues there or you people around you start seeing a pattern mm-hmm. and saying, you know, man, what's up with you know? Uh, Keisha, what's up with Rudy? Like, he don't really seem like himself. Like, you have got to then say, okay, you know what? Something is not quite right. And you got to be willing to listen to people that's giving you that, the people that love you that's giving you that feedback. Because oftentimes, you know, I was that person. I felt like, oh, ain't nothing wrong with me. I don't need to talk to nobody. <laughs> but if you see the patterns changing and you recognize these signs, that's why we want to educate people on what the signs and symptoms are. Because if you see something different and you're going down the wrong path, you got to get help. Absolutely. You know, May is Mental Health Mental Health Awareness Month and National Silence to Shame Day is Tuesday, May 5th. That day, Silence to Shame will be hosting the Big Texathon. Tell us about that and uh, how we can participate. I know I have a banner right now that has the word shame struck out. Talk to us about it. And yeah. uh, and so we can, I, I know I'll be putting that banner on my social media. I'll be putting that banner in my newsletter that goes out to 90,000. It'll go out this week. Amazing. Um, I have a May 1st newsletter. So it'll go out this Friday promoting your May 5th events. Tell us about it there, Ms. Doss. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Rashawn. And we appreciate the support. So May 5th is National Silence to Shame Day. We are going to be interviewing uh, politicians and celebrities and getting people to talk about uh, mental health on our Silence to Shame Instagram page. Also, uh, national recording artist and DJ Jermaine Dupree is going to be doing a virtual fundraiser for us on his IG from 4 to 6 p.m. And we'll have celebrities around the world and influencers and everyday people posting. You can post a picture of yourself or a video talking about your own personal experience and encourage people to donate. Um, again, we're going to be raising funds for resources and programs, our scholarship programs, and a portion of the proceeds will go to free therapy during the pandemic. So to donate, you can text the word SILENCE to 707-070, or you can visit our website and donate at silencetheshame.com. Now more than ever, mental health is so important because I like to tell people it's mind, body, and soul, Rashawn. Mm-hmm. What a- affects your mental can affect your physical. You talked about, you know, things manifesting into other problems in other areas. Well, mental health issues can manifest into physical issues and vice versa. So we've got to raise our voice and raise the community awareness. And May 5th is the day to talk about it, to support it, to donate, and to get everybody to being their best selves. My friend, fantastic. I want to thank you for coming on the show. I will definitely, as I told you earlier, I'll be supporting you. In fact, I'll probably uh, upload a picture of myself by my lake, coping, as you say. You know, letting you know that this is where I go. This is my outlet. When things are on top of me that I can't control. I gotta, because, you know, the thing about this, the the beautiful part about this interview is that we all deal with stress differently. 
We just got to understand mm-hmm. how to cope with it. And like you say, if it's prolonged, mm-hmm. then it should be investigated. If it's affecting your family, it's affecting your business, it's affecting the way you communicate, affecting your parenting, it should be investigated. Ms. Dodds, I want to thank you for coming on my show. She is the founder of Silence to Shame. May 5th is going to be my day. That day, Silence to Shame will be hosting the Big Texathon. Thank you for coming on my show, Ms. Dodds. Thank you so much. And I just want to say I've been a fan and and, and, and watched you behind the scenes for many years. <laughs> and you. I'm so proud of you and what you continue to do to bless people um, in many ways. So keep up the good work, Mr. McDonald. I appreciate it. Again, if you want to hear more episodes of Money Making Conversation, go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host. <laughs>